How is everybody doing this morning? You're like, yes, yes, Thanksgiving is over. Yeah, no, maybe some of you are like going, this is a sad day. Uh, whether you are sad or happy, we are so glad you are here. Um, I'm, I'm, in a moment, I'm going to perform a thankful test, and so I just want to make sure that you guys are ready for that. So as I pray, I want you to ask God, God, help me be the best participant possible as we're asking you to do something. I won't tell you yet what that is. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get started. By the way, my name is Chris, and I am the Life Groups pastor here at Southwinds Church. Pastor Mike is spending time with the grandchildren. And so, you know, I, I think now, ever since we've had grandchildren, I see, I think he has two grandkids, but I think I see 40 pictures a day of grandkids plus videos and stuff, so it's pretty awesome. So, Pastor Mike, I know you're listening, so I won't say anything else from there. Let's go ahead and pray. All right, well, Heavenly Father, there is a ton that we could be thankful for. And so, God, we thank you that this morning, that as we are sitting here in this worship center, God, you have given us purpose. God, if we are breathing, if we walked in here, if we rolled in here, Father God, whether we stumbled in here, Father God, you have given us purpose, and we thank you for that. So, Father, I just want to pray right now, Lord, that as we dive into your scriptures this morning, God, may you speak to our hearts, may you speak to our minds, God, may you speak to us plainly, Lord, so that we can understand fully what it is that you desire for us to leave with today. So, God, we just thank you in advance, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we all pray, amen. All right, so we are going to do the thankful test this morning, and the thankful test kind of looks like this. First of all, I'm going to just kind of give you a phrase, and if you are happy about that phrase, you're going to just simply say yes or applaud. I'll give you kind of one or the other. So in the yes, we're going to kind of practice this, so let's try it together. One, two, three. Yes. And it kind of, I, I like for some of you, some of you guys did the yes, and it's kind of had the extra like yes, because you were happy or glad about that. Then if you hear something that is sad you're going to kind of go, because I'm going to say some phrases, and maybe you're kind of going, oh, man, that makes me sad. And I just want you to go, oh. So let's try that. Ready? One, two, three. Oh. Yeah, just like you had that second plate of turkey, right? And that tryptophan kind of kicked in. So yeah, so, so here we go. So I'm going to go ahead and say the phrase, and you can either say yes or applaud or go, oh. All right. Then after this, I promise you can go back to being grumpy again. All right, so here we go. So family came over for Thanksgiving. All right, some of you guys were like, yes, I heard the quickness of that, so that was exciting. How about family went home? There's a mixture in here, guys. There's a mixture. And right now, some of you are going, they're still here. I can't say anything on there. So, all right, how about this? Uh, college kid or kids came home. Yes, that could be exciting. I know I am in that realm now. Uh, and, and then how about this one? College kid or kids are going back home. <laughs> I heard I heard some say, yes, finally they're heading back home. Now it's back on your dime. No, so no. So you have that. And then how about this one? The only reason I'm saying a few of these is because this is like my life right now. How about college kids, new boyfriend or girlfriend came home? Uh, yeah. Actually, my daughter was here last sun this last service, and I was like, I don't know what I should say right now. How about this? The commute returns tomorrow. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like actually, actually, the commute sucks either way. When during holidays or non-holidays, because traffic was just bad this year. I was trying to drive through it at all. 
Uh, the other thing is too, and then here's the last one, is that Christmas season is upon us. All right, yes. How many of you guys actually fully decorated your house already? Anybody decorate their house? My goodness, my wife told me, hey, can you bring everything out? And then I forgot, and then we just got lost, and we didn't do the Christmas decorations post-Thanksgiving. So I'm in trouble, but we'll be working on it this week, or maybe right after this message, so that way uh, I can do better as a husband. So what we're going to talk about today is something pretty amazing. We're going to talk about thankfulness. Because there's sometimes, I don't know about you, that when you kind of see all the posts that are going out on social media these days, some of them are good, some of them are hard. Because sometimes when you go into some holiday seasons, they bring and they spur on so many different emotions. So today we're going to be talking about, though, where do we actually get to start? How do we actually get to start being thankful? Because sometimes thankfulness has to start somewhere. And if we don't really get it or understand where it starts, what can begin to happen is is that everything, no matter whether it's good or bad, it just doesn't seem right. And some things just start getting messed up in our uh, our mind. And so what we're going to do is talk about thankfulness and where do we start here this morning. And so first of all, we're going to go ahead and start. And if you have your Bibles, I would love if you turn it to the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. And actually, if you want to pick up with me, I'm, I'm actually going to be reading a few verses, kind of reading in verses uh, in chapter 1 as well. And I want to kind of tell you a little bit about the book of Philippians. You see, Paul, on his second missionary journey, helped, he was a kind of a church planner, which is kind of cool. I used to be a church planner. And what he did was, as he helped start a church in Philippi, which was on the island of Greece. And so Philippi was, this is one of his first churches in his second missionary journey. And what happened was, is that the very first person that he reaches in Philippi was this woman named Lydia. And she was a dealer. She was a dealer of purple, but she was a dealer. So she, drew, she kind of dealt out purple clothing, which was nice high-end clothing, kind of like if you went to a nice high-end shop today. I'm not going to say it because you're going to be like, that's not a high-end shop. And you're going to be like, what? When did hot Walmart not become a high-end shop? I like Walmart. It, it helps save on some money. So anyways, but what happens is this, is that he goes and she, she, he leads her to Christ. And next thing you know, the church starts taking off inside Philippi. And he starts writing all of these encouragement letters. And when you start reading all of these verses and you start going through it, you start thinking, wow, there were some great things that were happening in there. And the answer is yes, there were great things happening at the church in Philippi. However... There was also really difficult things happening, like Paul, when he was writing to them, was in chains, and he was in jail, and they were being persecuted at the church, and yet somehow the church began to grow in the midst of the persecution, which makes me start realizing is that, God, how can I be thankful when my circumstances are not something I would be thankful for? And as we dive into some of these passages this morning, my hope and my prayer as I was kind of diving over them was that you're going to go, my gosh, I have been not looking at it the right way. Which brings us kind of to our first point, and then we're going to read some some of these passages. You see, the first way that we can start being thankful is that we start by looking through the lens we were created from. We start by looking through the lens we were created from. You see, what happens is that I am uh, farsighted or actually nearsighted, and so I always have to put on my glasses when I want to see you guys. Since I don't want to see you guys, I put this down so now I can actually read my message on here. But I want us to look at it as we start looking through the lens of what God is, how God is using Paul to write to the church 
at Philippi. And he starts with just a ton of thanksgiving. He says this in chapter 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray for, and this is chapter 1, verse 3, if you're following along. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And what he is saying is saying, listen, you have been doing such a great job. And then he tells them, hey, this is how I'm specifically praying for you. In verse 9, he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. It may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so he's continuing to encourage them. But then he starts going into some interesting passages. And again, I'm flying by this because this is not where we're going. This is not, this is to kind of set up where we're going. But then he goes on in verse 21 of chapter 1. And then he tells him this. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire, to be, I desire to depart and be with Christ, but which is better by far. But it is more necessary for, that, for you that I remain in the body. I want to encourage you with something this morning. Maybe some of you are just wondering, why am I still here on earth? What purpose does God have for me? And I want to encourage you because Paul, he's, even, he's kind of explained this thing. He goes, hey, you know, I would much rather be with Christ because that is gain. But if God has me here right now, in this moment, in this circumstance, with either these pains or these things that I do not want to be in, but if that's where I'm going to be, that's where God has me. And so I'm going to continue to follow you. And then he follows up with another verse in verse 29. And he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ that not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for him. And there's something powerful when you start to realize when he's saying, God, how can I be thankful through my circumstances? And yet we have Paul who is writing this letter to a church that is being persecuted as he is in prison and in chains, yet God is building a church in the midst of that. And that, that's when it leads to this next thing, and that's where the lens that I want us to look through, because when we jump into this ne to the next passage after this one, what you're going to start realizing is that when your lens is focused in on the right things, God starts doing a pretty amazing thing with that. So let's go ahead and dive in. And so Paul then goes and he starts saying, listen, the idea is, is that it's not about you. It's about following Christ's humi humility. And we, this is where we pick up now in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. And he says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and in purpose. And then he reminds him, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, that's going to be a key word we're going to hear today, 
But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. And he tells them how their attitude should be. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself, there's the word humility again, and he became obedient to death, and even death, on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God forever. You see, when we start looking through the right lens, next thing you know, what we start seeing is that Paul is encouraging and saying, listen, if you are going through, no matter what circumstance you're going through, there is a plan that I have for you, but there are some ifs in here. And here's the hard part. When he provides the ifs, these ifs are somewhat conditional. And this is the hard part is as you're coming into church and you're thinking, okay, I am ready to learn something. I'm ready to kind of apply it to my life. But then we hear words like if, and he's talking to the church and he uses it in this way. He goes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And what he is saying is, is that does your union with Christ, does your relationship with Christ, does it provide any encouragement? How many of you came in here this morning and you just feel maybe discouraged by the circumstances that you've been placed in? That maybe the lot in life you feel that you were given and you do not like that. And what he is saying is as if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and then he throws out his next if. And he says, if any comfort from his love. You see, sometimes you were constantly hearing in the church, you're saying, you just need to love God and you need to receive his comfort. But I'll be honest with you, there's times when I was even a Christ follower and I was going, I'm not so comfortable right now. There's sometimes when I'm coming, getting ready to preach in front of you guys, that's not always so comfortable, you know? I'm like, man, do I really want to preach in front of this group? They could be pretty crazy. I've heard from Pastor Mike. That's what he told me. I don't know. I'll find out. And then he tells him this. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, are you actually living out what I've put inside you? When we receive Jesus and that Holy Spirit dwells within us, are we truly living with the power that exists that he gives us? And also, he, lastly, he says, if there's any tenderness and compassion. You see, what happens is when you start beginning to have a relationship with Christ, what God does is he gives you some tenderness and compassion. And maybe some of us are all tenderness and compassioned out after Thanksgiving. You're like, okay, the families are gone. Whew, I don't have to be as tender anymore or compassionate anymore. But the idea, the reality is this, is that when you have a relationship with God, is the tenderness coming from us? Maybe that's why it's short-lived. Or is it coming from God because there's this lens that we look through and the lens is actually through the lenses of what Jesus, how Jesus sees us. But then he continues on and he goes, then make my joy complete 
by being like-minded, meaning that there is a shared focus. Have you ever wondered why God continues to call you to kind of one church, and when you hear Pastor Mike, and he's talking about what the mission and the vision of where he sees the church going at that time, what he is trying to do is he's saying the church needs to have a common focus so that we can continue to go in the direction that he has called this church to love and to live in this community. But he also says having the same love. How many of you guys have ever had a hard time loving someone before? Anybody have a hard time loving somebody? And if it's your spouse, do not look at them right now. I'm telling you right now, it, it, it leads to marriage counseling. All right, so don't look at them right now. It's all right. But what happens is if you're having a hard time loving somebody, maybe it starts with finding just a common interest with them. And I'm not talking necessarily always about your family, but there are people, your neighbors, have you ever thought about your coworkers where maybe sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to them because we don't, we don't even talk the same, th- same way. But maybe what you could do is you can have a common interest that begins to start developing a relationship. And there's a phrase that I always use is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you start developing those interests, God can begin to start opening some doors. But then he goes on, he says, being one in spirit and purpose. And then he gives this next part of this passage, there is this passage that kind of talks, the way I kind of put it is, is more of what an enemy of peace looks like. And if you want to try to live in peace, this is an enemy of it. And it happens in chapter 2, verse 3, and it goes like this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why is that an enemy of peace? You see, what happens is, is that when we are selfish or when we are vain, what does it put a focus on? It puts the focus on ourselves. And it's whatever I want. It is whatever I think should happen. It is whatever I do. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in the holidays, those things can happen because we all have a desire. As a dad, I have a desire for the things that my family to do. Again, the kid coming back from college, it's like, hey, how's college? But don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And she's like, oh, dad, I want to go back to school right now. Stop it. But you see, when, when, when we're selfish, it focuses on ourselves and what also happens is, and I don't know about you, but there are some areas when I, when I always talk about it on our Friday night Celebrate Recovery, I tell people that I'm an angry pastor sometimes. That's why this t-shirt works really well for me sometimes, is that what happens is, is that what angry comes from, where anger comes from is when people don't do things that you don't want, what they, people are doing things you don't want them to do. And I end up getting angry about that. And I'll, this is my confession time here up on this stage. But I want you to know that pastors can get angry too. But he continues to go on in verse 3, and he says, But in humility, there's humility, consider other be- others better than yourselves. Do not look into your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And you see, Paul is setting up a standard that's very high for the church, but he also is providing a solution. Because I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking, well, how am I able to do that? Because guess what? My flesh sometimes does not want to be humble. But then he reminds them all in verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Which means that we need to align ourselves with who he is. And the results will end up being that we also will know who he isn't when people start talking about it in social media or in work when you're going, well, wait a second, that's not the God whom I know. 
But here's also the attitude that Jesus did. It says, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider himself equal with God, something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, meaning God in the flesh. He showed himself to all of creation, and he humbled himself. And I looked up the word obedient because it says that he became obedient even to death. And when I looked up the, uh, the definition of obedience, I didn't like it. I don't know about you. I didn't like it. But here's the definition of obedience. Complying or willing to comply with orders or requests submissive to another's will. Let me say that last phrase again. Submissive to another's will. As a father, I use the word obedient a lot with my children. Go clean your room. Hey, do your laundry. Hey, go pick up the dog poop. Hey, go make me some dinner. Hey, not right now. I've got to watch TV. No. And so what happens is, is I love the word obedience. But when it says here that my attitude should be like Christ and he was obedient to death, well, now all of a sudden, these passages of Scripture, I'm not always a big fan of. Because what happens is, is now as that I'm reading and saying, well, wait a second, there might be seasons in my life that death might even be involved with, that you're asking me that I need to be a servant, that I need to submit to your will? You see, Jesus, in the Gospels, before he was crucified on that cross, one of the things that he asked God was, take this cup from me. I love the humanness of Jesus in that moment because what he was saying is, I don't really want to go. I don't want to have these nails put on me. I don't want to have to get whipped. I don't want to have to get a crown of thorns stamped on my head. But what he says following is the lens that all of us need to walk away with here this morning. And what he says is this, it's not my will, but whose? Yours. Not mine, God's. It's not my will, but yours be done. And I can't tell you how many times in my walk with Jesus, over and over and over and over again do I have to use the words, not my will, but yours be done. Why? It's because maybe the circumstances that I'm going through, the seasons that I'm going through, I do not like. And so what ends up happening is that when we say, not my will, but yours be done, what we are actually saying is, God, in my flesh, I do not want this, but in my spirit, I trust you. And now, whatever season that God brings you in, he is going to not only give you the power for, through to, to handle it, but he's going to give you a peace. He may even give you a thankfulness in the midst of whatever storm that he is putting you in. I'm not even talking about the storm that's even outside. That's crazy, by the way. 
So the one way that we can start being thankful is we start looking through that lens. But we're going to wrap it up with this next story, and this is the lens that I want to make sure that we understand as we get into it. Because you see is that there's sometimes our thankfulness can be misdirected as well. And what I want you to do is I want you to kind of go back a few books in the Bible and from Philippians, and I want us to go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, there is five verses that we're going to read, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. And then my hope and my prayer is that when you're saying, God, how do I start being thankful, that we're going to grasp something here this morning that we're going to take with us, and my prayer is that you're going to take with you for the rest of your life. And it starts in chapter 9 of verse 18 in the Gospel of Luke, and it says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. It says in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. And he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. These robbers, these evildoers, and adulterers, and then, or even this tax collector. Here's a quick note. First service, I did tax collector, and the guy in the front was a tax collector. I was like, wow, God, that is so cool. I was praying for a tax collector here this morning sitting up front, but God didn't answer that one. But that tax collector in first service, I was not like that person. And in verse 12, he continues and says, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But there was a second man who also went into that temple. And the second man said this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. We're going to talk about why he did that in a moment. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then God rocks us here. He should rock you right here. Because in 14, he says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, referring to the tax collector, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, what we have here, and where we can start in our, our second point in order to, where we can start to be thankful is that we need to start by not comparing ourselves to others. It's actually a very dangerous thing here, church, because what can happen is, can we compare ourselves in church as well? I'm not like that person over there, so there's no way that I can get up and teach. You know, Pastor Mike is an, an amazing Bible teacher, and he loves preaching God's word, but if I continue to compare myself to him, I always feel like I don't do it. But I also know that God has required me in a different way as well. And what happens is, is that when we live out our callings the way God wants us to, what can begin to happen is that we start comparing ourselves to others. And what we can see is that this Pharisee, his shift went from God 
to himself. And you start looking down on it. And let's kind of talk about what a Pharisee, how did a Pharisee become a Pharisee? And the first thing is, was that, that these were people who believed that they would please God. Think about this and kind of look at it through the lens that you have had maybe before you came in here this morning, that they believed that they would please God and make it to heaven by following a long list of religious rules and regulations. You see, first you had Moses' Ten Commandments. Okay, I could do ten. Ten's reasonable, right? Well, then what would happen is that there was actually 613 laws, also the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, and what would happen is that those 613 laws would be used to help them follow the ten. And then afterwards, through their oral traditions... They would actually have sermons and messages to help refine those 613 and add a couple thousand more into following those laws. And so let me go ahead and give you one example. The one example, the fourth commandment, it says that, that we need to honor the Sabbath, that we need to have that day of rest, and that they would add 39 rules to it. When I was in Israel... And one of the things that they did on the Sabbath in our hotel room was that they had, two floor, they had two elevators, one for the even number floors and one for the odd number floors. Because you see what would happen is that when you got home from the day, which you had to be there before sundown, you couldn't press the button because that button would ignite fire and that would create work and you'd be desecrating the Sabbath. What would also would happen is, is that if you went to the restroom anywhere, there would be signs on the bathroom walls, and if it was an automatic flush, what it would say is that this urinal desecrates the Sabbath. And so people would know not to use that specific bathroom. And it would also happen is if you called ahead of time to the hotel, is that you could request them and they would actually tear pieces of toilet paper so that you wouldn't have to work to take off the toilet paper on the Sabbath. And what would happen is that they would continue to refine the laws on how many steps that you were to take, that you were not able to do that, you're not able to rescue someone on the Sabbath. And what would happen is that you would create from just this one law that God would give out of 10, there would be multiple laws to help you figure out how to stay away from breaking that. And that's how much this person wanted to please God. And that's why his very first words, which I really struggle with here, because I've said those exact same words, he says this, before he kind of goes on, and after he stands up, he says, God, I thank you. How many of us have ever just said thank you, God? Man, God, thank you for this. God, the video. Man, God, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for the weather. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my health right now. Thank you for allowing me to be able to walk for my meals. And God, thank you. The direction of that beginning of the prayer is beautiful. But then it gets a little weird. And he starts saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like any other men. And he starts laying out robbers, evildoers, adulterers, the tax collector. Man, I hope I didn't embarrass him in that service. But it was so cool that he was a tax collector. 
And then he even says all the things that he did. He says, I fast twice a week. How many of you guys ever, I have a hard time fasting. I'll be honest with you. I have a hard time skipping a meal. You could see that. (laughs) But when you fast, what you are doing is you are denying yourself and saying, God, whatever it is that you want to teach me in the midst of me denying myself, teach me. And some of those moments of fasting can create beautiful relationship with who God is when you're reading his word, when you're actually physically, sometimes it's a physical, sometimes it's I'm going to fast from not watching TV. Sometimes I say I'm going to fast from not talking to my wife. Sometimes, no, (laughs) that would never work, by the way. Don't try that one. But what can happen is, is that he says, I don't only fast, but I fast two times a week. He's saying that he goes, I give a tenth of everything that I've got. And he's trying to tell people, he's trying to tell people, saying, listen, I love God more than all these other people. And then what ends up happening is that you can see through the lens that we just read about the humility of Christ that those two things aren't matching up. God's been working on me in a new season these last few months. One, I've got a kid in college. Man, that is an adjustment for you parents who have had to do that already or for you who have young kids getting ready to do that. It is like ripping out your heart and just saying, okay, I'll see you in three months and trusting that they're gonna be okay. My kid while in college, she's not in this one so I can talk more about it, had a new boyfriend that came over for Thanksgiving Thank you. (laughs) In the last few months, we were blessed to be able to get a new teen foster kid. And I have two high school girls in, in high school, and man, that's a lot of emotions. But you see, in this new season... As I look to my family, all I want to do is I want to protect them. When she, my daughter is calling me from college, I want to make sure that there's no boy that's going to be too good enough for her, that I can't protect her when she's all the way at school and I am over here. When my girl's in high school, hey, make sure that there's no bullies. You tell me what their names are. I'll call the teachers. I'll call the principal. I will do whatever it is that I can to try to protect my girls, to keep anybody from trying to harm them or hurt them. But what also would happen is I'd also start saying, I don't want them to become like, maybe it's me sometimes. Oh, I know what I did when I was 18 years old. I know what you're going to do. And I start looking at them with this lens, or next thing you know, or maybe I don't want them to become like. And now all of a sudden, pastors become a Pharisee. Because now I'm looking at this lens of what I think they should do or who I think they should be instead of realizing who I think they should be. And it leads us to our third point. We start, when we really want to know how to start to be thankful, we need to start by knowing whose we are is more important than who we are. Let me say that one more time. It starts by knowing whose we are. It's more important than who we are. 
You see, when the tax collector enters the temple, this is a person that was hated by the Jews because they were, preserved, they were perceived as being greedy. They were seen as collaborators to Rome, which were these instruments, these people of torture. They hated the church. They were seen as people that they would take a top off of all the taxes that Rome would get, and they would make it, and they would keep it for themselves. And maybe today's version of that tax collector is anyone that we see as an enemy of either us or the church or on social media as they're calling out that we hate this, we hate that. But what they're saying is that they're hating the outside and this tax collector was coming inside going, I'm done. He was still going into that temple to pray. We don't know the circumstances that was going on in that tax collector's life other than he was hated by all the Jews. And when he stepped into that temple, the reason why he stood at a distance was maybe sometimes why we distance ourselves from the church. You ever felt that way where you just come to church and you just don't want anybody to see you? Because maybe you know that maybe something going on internally is you're fighting and saying, I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to see the pain or the hurt that I've experienced in my life. And we distance ourselves from people, and we put on this Pharisee life. And all he does is he stands at a distance, and he beats his chest, which is a sign of sincerity, saying, listen, the only thing I've got right now in my life is to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, a person who falls just short from God. And then Jesus in this parable says this. He says, that person gets to meet me. Whose you are is more important than who you are. As we close this message, I want us to be reminded of this that no matter how you came in here this morning, God is more concerned with going on what's going on on the inside, not how you look on the outside. If you are hurting, you need to tell people about it. If you are in pain, do not hide the pain. If you are struggling, do not hide the struggle. Because the reality is, is that the fearful part is like, well, I can never be like that person who's up on that stage. But where God wants us is down here, where every single one of us is at today. He wants us all to kind of say, God, have mercy on us. And maybe we can't even be here. Maybe we got to be way back here and saying, God, have mercy on us, because I don't want to even be close to there because I'm not even worthy enough to be there. And this is the church, guys. This is Southwind's Church of Tracy. Loving Jesus, but whatever you're going through, God loves. And if you're willing to just simply admit it and say, God, 
have mercy on me for a sinner like myself, guess what? You are going to see our Heavenly Father. And guess what? In the midst of that, we can begin to learn how to fast and get closer to Him. But it's not because we brag about it, but it's because we really want to know who He is. Amen?